Western civilization is in decline, and there seems to be little hope of recovery. In the midst of our woke revolution destroying everything, a bright phoenix has emerged from the ashes, with the face of Ben Shapiro and the eyebrows to boot. One might ask how aerodynamic those bushy eyebrows can really be, but all you need to do is stack up the accomplishments of the Daily Wire to see how unique and powerful the, their business has been for our nation. The Daily Wire started in Jeremy Boring's pool house and has grown into a multi-million dollar company that boasts the number one fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. A groundbreaking documentary about transgenderism called What is a Woman? That may be one of the most important films of our lifetime and life-saving legislation banning the LGBTQ cult from mutilating children. There's also a host of non-woke products that assure that the judgment of God will never be upon you and that you'll never need to walk through the doors of a target. In short, the Daily Wire has been a saving grace in dark times, but it's not enough. Some may argue that no one ever said it would be. Even the Daily Wire guys call out for religious community, traditional values, and many more things. But even that is not enough. As the Daily Wire platform grows, it runs the risk of posing as the answer for leftism and eclipsing the real answer. Especially if they never go deep enough to give the right answer for the decline of Western civilization. The right answer is, in a word, not conservatism, but Jesus. Jesus, man. To prove this to you, let me show you the once great Christian nation of England, where the Christian population has now dropped below the majority, with only 46.2% of people identifying themselves as Christians in a 2021 census. That's a 13-point percentage drop in just a decade. Now, what could possibly go wrong now that Christianity is in the minority and not in the majority? Well, see for yourself. The policy, as far as we know it, we've yeah. looked at it carefully. Yeah. Okay. It said that you're not allowed to pray in congregations. You're not allowed to pray at all in royal parks. No, that's not what the policy that's says. Regulations, it's not a policy, it's a regulation. Pardon? It's an act of law. And so, as a police officer, I'm telling you very nicely, no praying in royal parks. What you just saw, for those listening, is a Muslim man questioning an English police officer who told him that all forms of prayer have been banned from public parks. Well, that seems odd. I guess we'll just have to pray in public sidewalks then. Or not. What, what are you here for today? Uh, physically, I'm just standing here. Okay. Why, why here of all places? I know you, you don't live nearby. But this is an abortion something. Okay, that's why you're standing. Is you standing here part of the protest? No. I'm not are you, protesting. Are you, are you praying? I, I might be praying in my head. Um, so I'll, I'll ask you once more, will you voluntarily come with us now to the police station for me to ask you some questions about today and other days where there are allegations that you've broken public spaces particularly? Uh, if I've got a choice, then no. Okay, well then you're under arrest. Okay? Oops, looks like that Christian woman that was just on that clip praying silently in her head is a violation of public protection orders, according to an English police officer. For those prone to childish thinking, let me assure you that even if you're a secular humanist, an atheist, or whatever else you want to identify as, a butterfly, this should alarm you. Because today they're coming for Muslims and Christians, and then tomorrow they'll be coming for whatever thoughts may enter into your head silently. And if all the moral people are gone, trust me, no one will stand for you, just like you didn't stand for the moral people when you had the opportunity. All this is to help all of us see. As much as The Daily Wire has helped Western culture, we must insist on funding and supporting platforms that provide the right answer. And it's not just conservatism.
The idea that you have to make secular arguments to reach secular people is silly. If God exists and he does, he is the best answer to all of the questions of our age, as we'll see today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, if you're like me, you can work up quite a sweat fighting the culture war on every front. And trust me, there's a lot of evil to fight. So if you're not working up a sweat and perhaps just even a little bit stinky from the fight, then perhaps you're not fighting hard enough. But for those of you who are smack dab in the middle of it, you know you need great products that don't come from woke companies to make sure that you stay fresh for the fight ahead. And for those of you who have been watching this show, you know that herbal alchemy is the key to staying fresh for the fight. So I've got right here in my hand, man soap. Now, this is from the Mountain Man collection, and also from the Mountain Man collection, I have Man Face here. Now, Man Face is a great aftershave. It's effervescent. It's refreshing. Most of all, after you've used these man products, you get to keep your man card, and it makes you feel like you fought a bear naked in the forest with your hands tied behind your back and then took a dip in a refreshing spring. Only Herbal Alchemy can help you feel that refreshed. Now, one of the refreshing things about Herbal Alchemy is it is a non-woke company. It's run by Christians, and it's organized by Christians, and most of all, some of the proceeds from what they take in goes to support Christian missions around the world, and perhaps one of the most important missions. They support fighting sex trafficking and human trafficking on the front lines. So you know, when you support Herbal Alchemy, you're not just buying great, all-natural products that are great for your skin and great for your health, but also great for our world. It's time for you to stop. Stop wasting money, spending all of it on woke companies that hate your values, that ultimately proliferate those values in our nation. And it's time to start moving to Herbal Alchemy. You can click the link down in the description of this podcast to buy some great products, not only for that man that is thick in the fight, but also it's got some great health and beauty products for you ladies as well. But check it all out today by going to the link in the description of this podcast. Today, I want to start with an article by David Brooks that asks why we are so awful to one another. And I think it's a great question. Now, you might be able to guess if you remember David Brooks being on the show in the past that David Brooks is going to come up with completely the wrong prescription, but the right diagnosis, as he did in the past. David Brooks wrote an article in The Atlantic that I went over, I believe, multiple times on the show in the past, where he said the nuclear family was a mistake. And so his idea is that we need these kind of large, you know, kind of social communities out there that are fabricated out of who knows what. Uh, but the, the nuclear family, it's passe. It's something that's leave it to beaverish, but it's never, it's never going to work in the first place. Men uh, being dads and women being mothers and homes raising kids, that's, that's just never going to work. The nuclear family was a big mistake. Um, obviously, he is pinpointing something that is happening in society. The nuclear family is in cataclysmic breakdown. But it actually doesn't have to do with the fact that the nuclear family was a mistake. It has to do with the fact that people like David Brooks and those on the left have been attacking the nuclear family through things like second wave feminism and third wave feminism, among other things. And as a result of that attack, the nuclear family has sustained a bunch of damage. And fatherlessness today marks as one of the biggest issues in our nation. Now, for those of you paying attention to the Republican side of, of the aisle right now, you'll know Larry Elder has been on a tear lately, pinpointing that as the number one epidemic in 
America, and I would agree with him that it is. When you put fathers in the home, it changes everything. Right now, we are in cataclysmic you know, fallout with the nuclear family, and something needs to happen about it. So I only bring that up to just show you that David Brooks's work in the past has been brave, at least, in its ability to identify problems, but then completely wrongheaded in its approach. And here, again, in a recent article that's really fascinating, we have him doing the same thing as he asks how Americans got so awful to one another. And in the article, it says this. Over the past eight years or so, I've been obsessed with two questions. The first is, why have Americans become so sad? The rising rates of depression have been well publicized, as have the rising deaths of despair from drugs, alcohol, and suicide. Might it have something also to do with other left-wing policies, like the mutilation of people's bodies, which we've promised them that once you cut off your sex organs, everything will be just fine. Now, when people finally figure out that that catastrophic surgery that they just performed on their own bodies, didn't actually do the trick, might that add to some depression? Yeah, so uh, of course we're not going to hear that here, but we will hear some other things that are interesting to pay attention to. But other statistics are similarly troubling. The percentage of people who say they don't have close friends has increased fourfold since 1990. The share of American ages 25 to 54 who aren't married are living with a romantic partner went up to 38% in 2019 from 29% in 1990. A record high 25% of 40-year-old Americans have never married. More than half of all Americans say that no one knows them well. The percentage of high school students who report persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness shot up from 26% to in 2009 to 44% in 2021. My second related question is this. Why have Americans become so mean? I was recently talking with a restaurant owner owner who said that he has to eject a customer from his restaurant for rude or cruel behavior once a week, something that never used to happen. A head nurse at a hospital told me that many of her staff are leaving the profession because patients have become so abusive. At the far extreme of meanness, hate crimes rose in 2020 to their highest level in 12 years. Murder rates have been surging, at least until recently. Same with gun sales. Social trust is plummeting. In 2000, two-thirds of American households gave to charity. In 2018, fewer than half did. The words that define our age reek of menace, conspiracy, polarization, mass shootings, trauma, safe spaces. Now, I'll save you reading the rest of that and try to just synthesize that story for you here. Essentially, David Brooks is going to come down to the conclusion that the problem is fourfold. First of all, it's social media, that we have a bunch of keyboard warriors who are running to the comments section um, and thinking that by showing some vestige of who they actually really are behind closed doors, being who they would never be out in public, that somehow that will make us liberated and free. And actually, it's just made us more dumb and meaner to each other. And of course, the social media phenomenon of just thinking that like truth can be curated by likes, like no matter what you're saying, as long as people like it enough that that it's okay. And of course, this is a ridiculous notion that's that's disastrous and certainly plays a part in the depression and the sickness of our age. But he also says that sociology is an issue, that people are becoming more insulated, not being a part of, of you know, communities that they used to. And of course, this has to do with the decline of people going to church and that kind of thing. He says demography is an issue. So people as, uh, as you know, other races have begun to populate America and whites have gone in the minority. Of course, he has to make this racial argument that it start to upset the kind of racial harmony that we used to have in other places. I, I don't really believe much of that, but nonetheless, that's what he says. And then the last one I think is 
is probably very true. He says that the economy is very depressing for many people. So I don't know if you've been paying attention right now, but Bidenomics not quite working. And it's making life harder for so many people, especially for those who don't have a lot of money. As much as Democrats say that they love caring for the poor, this is often what they do to people here. They make life harder for, <laughs> that, that they don't believe in top down, but they do believe in making um, life harder top down for, for everybody, for the rich, for the middle class, and for the poor. So nonetheless, um, the economy is weighing in and making people a little bit more upset. They're more depressed, more angry about what's going on, and therefore they're taking it out on each other. Now, his cure for this is something that I think is fascinating because it doesn't really sound like it's coming from somebody on the social left, but his, his cure for this is, is, in a sense, moral education. But I find this very interesting coming from David Brooks because where is one of the greatest places of moral education? For those of you who might not know the answer to this, by the way, just kind of FYI, it's not the government. The government is not supposed to inculcate uh, morality upon the people. So moral education might, David Brooks, happen within the confines of a family, you know, like a father and a mother raising children. But of course, as I highlighted at the beginning of this, David Brooks is interested in trying to show us how ridiculous the nuclear family actually is. Maybe we should go back to restoring fathers in homes, raising kids, and then we might actually see some of this moral education. But it's interesting because David Brooks thinks that a lot of that moral education should take place within the confines of the public education system, that those should be our moral educators. Interesting that he didn't choose pastors. So let's just talk about the real problem here for just a moment. As already illustrated, fathers need to be in homes. We need to restore the nuclear family, not, not actually try to tear it down. If we started putting fathers in homes who are the major disciplinarians in homes, and, and, and by the way, even if a mother is a major disciplinarian in the home, that's fine, that, you know, whatever, uh, certain women have uh, inclination more toward that than other women, but let's just be honest. Generally speaking, the voice of a father is way different than the voice of a mother. And if you're a single mom and you have to discipline your kids, hey, we get it. You do the best that you can. But the reality is, is that it's nowhere near as effective as a father disciplining his kids. So we need fathers in homes. The breakdown of the nuclear family is the thing that's really causing these issues. As I've highlighted on the show in the past, that not only is the a father one of the foundational pieces of moral inculcation in his family, but when the father is gone, even if he wasn't the best father on the planet, but when we see that fathers are gone, kids are way more likely to have premarital sex, have kids out of wedlock, go to jail, commit crimes before their 18th birthday, way less likely to graduate, and all sorts of other things. We need fathers. And perhaps Ben Shapiro, speaking about this very issue, brings out a fantastic point that that is as a result of fathers not being in the home. Ben on his show just last week talked about the difference between kindness and niceness and talked about how a society is taking advantage of the, the niceness of people. Like everybody deserves kindness, but not everybody deserves niceness. If you're going to take advantage of people, you can still be kind to that person, but we're not going to be nice to you when you go around trying, trying to take advantage of people's niceness. Um, and ultimately, niceness is one of the one of the repercussions of a feminized society because we need men to be strong. Yes, men should be kind and nice. I'm not trying to make an argument to the contrary. And for those of you really strong women out there, I hope you can see that I that I'm speaking in generalized terms here that also happen to be generally accurate. Uh, that that niceness is a is an attitude that is way more common in women 
than than it is necessarily in men. Men have a short uh, a shorter kind of niceness fuse than than women do. Now again, we should all be kind. We should all be nice, but niceness has its limits, and men have the tendency to do that more. But I want you to hear from Ben as he speaks about this, because I think it's really interesting, and it does it does hint of the feminization of society today. Check it out. This is true. I mean, all of this is true. There's something else that's happened, though, and that is an attack on all these institutions, a motivated attack, and a reliance on the niceness of the American public to tolerate the attack. So it's not just, I mean, this is true. A lot of the moral education went away. That undergirding niceness is kindness. And kindness and niceness are not the same thing. Being nice to someone means that you just are inoffensive to them. Being kind to someone very often means you're looking out for them. It means that you're going to tell them a thing that maybe they don't want to hear. If you have a friend who's a drug abuser and you simply say, you do you, that may be nice, but it's not kind. If you have a child who does bad things on the regular and you just let them do it, that may be nice, but it's not actually kind. But what's happened is over, but kindness is undergirded by a belief in some sort of higher good. Because what it means is that you do have to use judgment. You do have to be judgmental. You have to know that not being a drug addict is actually morally preferable to being a drug addict. Or you actually have to say that certain behavior is better than other behavior. It is an act of kindness to chide your fellow when he goes astray. So hopefully that's self-explanatory in what I said before to kind of illustrate this idea that I'm speaking again in generalized terms here. I'm not saying that women are perpetually nice and and not kind or too nice or anything like that. I'm just speaking in generalized terms that generally speaking, men have a tendency to have a, a capacity for kindness, but less capacity for niceness than women typically do. And that women can be taken advantage of a little bit easier than men, generally speaking. Again, not everybody, but generally speaking, this is something that needs to be understood. Now, I think this is a problem not only for those who are perpetually nice, but this is also a problem for those who have been raised by women and don't understand what masculinity truly looks like and then take advantage of nice people. So in many ways, this has a lot to do with the fact that young boys are taking in feminized traits that that aren't counterbalanced with a father in the home. Now, let's step back to to just look at the ultimate premise here for David Brooks, because let's assume that the schools are supposed to be a place where we can have some kind of moral inculcation. You know, God forbid we actually talk about church and Sunday school, but nonetheless, if schools are supposed to be a a factory for the indoctrination of morals into small children, well then, I think David Brooks needs to look in a mirror because people on his political side of the aisle are the ones who have been crying out for the separation of church and state for ages without actually knowing what it actually means. Of course, separation of church and state is not found in the Constitution. It's found in a letter by Thomas Jefferson where he's speaking to Baptists. And that idea goes even further back than than Thomas Jefferson. And it's an idea that simply means that the, the government cannot establish a state religion that then they force everybody to adhere to, and the government cannot stop the free exercise of anyone's religion. That's what separation of church and state actually is. The First Amendment does not prohibit Christians from entering political office or even from, you know, Christian scripture being taught in public schools. The reality is that this nation was founded on Christian principles, and the Western world was founded on Christian principles. So for us to not teach, that means we just don't care about history. Now, it's, it's one thing to indoctrinate or to teach Christian principles in schools, in public schools, which I think they should. 
But, but that's not even what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about just simply is because the left has been so obsessed with the separation of church and state and because they've tried to secularize education, morality flew out the window long ago. But guess what? It was replaced with another morality, which is the real problem. So these, these vacuums, you know, tend to get filled by something. So as G.K. Chesterton said, it, when people quit believing in God, it's not that they stop believing in something, it's that they'll believe in anything. And what took the place of real moral education inside of schools when we started getting rid of Christianity in schools and people started protesting against it, what took its place was left-wing morality. And so now we teach that boys can be girls and girls can be boys from the earliest of ages. This total nonsense morality has replaced authentic morality, and as a result of it, no wonder the world is upside down. We've put secular humanism in the place of Christianity and then wondered why people just want to act like they're meat robots that go around eating and having sex and destroying whatever they want to so that they can get their kicks. The truth is, is that if you really want moral inculcation inside of schools, then you better get off your separation of church and state high horse and start actually opening up a Bible, because that might help you just a little bit. But I have no such faith, because as our society spirals further into nihilistic secular humanism, things seem to only be getting worse. Which brings us to our next story about a British nurse who killed seven babies. Seven babies, brand new babies, born in the nursery. This British nurse killed them. The story says this. A British nurse who described herself as a horrible, evil person was found guilty on Friday of murdering seven newborn babies and trying to kill another six in the neonatal unit of a hospital in northwest England where she worked. Lucy Letby, 33, was convicted of killing five baby boys and two baby girls at the Countess of Chester Hospital and attacking other newborns, often while working night shifts in 2015 and 2016. The verdict following a harrowing 10-month trial at Manchester Crown Court makes Letby Britain's most prolific serial child killer in modern history, local media said. Well, the most prolific killer in history of babies, unless you're an average Planned Parenthood worker, that is. Now, serious question here. Why is she evil? Honestly, why is it evil to kill these babies? It's a sincere question. Because, I mean, Richard Dawkins, one of the fathers of our secular humanist age, said this, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. In other words, a world where there is no God is a world of subjective morality where there is no right, there is no wrong, there is no good, there is no evil. Trust me, atheists and agnostics will try to talk themselves in circles to, tr to defend the fact that they can actually come up with a plausible source of morality um, as an atheist or as, a, as an agnostic. But often what they do is they just become completely subjective in their take on morality. And they say, well, we can argue for subjective morality. What's good for society is good for... Well, you can argue that getting rid of all mentally retarded people somehow is better for society. Maybe you need more workers. And so mentally retarded people are being born and they can't work. And so, you know, them's, uh, you know, them's the breaks. So what do you do? So there is no way that you can argue for secular morality from an atheistic perspective. Now, what I am not saying is that all atheists are bad or all agnostics are, 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 are evil people. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Yes, you can, you can be a quote-unquote what we call a good moral person and be an atheist. What I am saying is that you cannot truly intellectually argue for objective morality because you have no rational basis for it unless you posit a transcendent good 
And where would that transcendent good come from except from a transcendent God? So the average Democrat in America thinks you should be able to kill a baby anyway, right? Their idea is that what's the difference, honestly, between the formation of a baby that just came out of the magical birth canal and a baby that's in its third trimester just about to come out of the baby. Many Democrats believe you should be able to have third trimester abortions anyway. So what are we really talking about at the end of the day if this evil that we see in our society is just socially constructed and isn't objectively evil? I guess what I'm saying is just simply this, that we need to be able to tell where good and evil comes from if we're actually going to have a conversation about it. And that pushes us toward the religious. It pushes us toward conversations of whether or not Christianity is truly is truly right. Now, for those of you who have just a hard heart and you're still resistant to the Christian faith, let me give you a historical argument that I hope you can understand. Prior to Christianity's intrusion on the Western world, we lived in a culture of rape, murder, and pillage. It was very common. And I'm not going to say that Christianity changed that all overnight or that there weren't self-professed Christians who didn't partake in that kind of evil. I'm just saying that it changed the world. Now, that, that mentality was a kind of you-do-you world before Christianity entered the scene, kind of like it is today. And honestly, if Darwinian evolution is really the only truth and there is no God, then why not say whatever? Kill what you want to kill. Do whatever you want to do. You do you. This is an honest question. Why not let the strong survive into hell with the weak? I know you don't like murder, but after all, who are you to judge? That is unless there is a higher love above all of us that transcends our desires and transcends our subjective morality. This is why we need Christianity to infuse culture. Now, just recently, someone from live action was showcasing a Planned Parenthood priestess, I suppose, uh, who wanted to talk about how glorious and godly abortion is. Now, I want to I want you to hear from this Planned Parenthood priestess, but then I also want you to hear from this person from live action because they make the statement that, uh, you know, they started making religious arguments, but we don't have to, but I will because they started it. Now, I'm going to disagree with that, and I'll show you why here in a moment, but here's that clip. I felt God's presence with me as I made the decision to end two pregnancies. And I felt no guilt, no shame, no sin. Wow. A forced pregnancy or birth is not holy. I cannot fathom a God who would imagine otherwise. Most pro-abortion arguments don't require a religious response, but this one certainly does, so here I am. The Ten Commandments are one of the most basic Christian principles that even non-Christians know about. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not murder. If taking a drug intended to starve your son or daughter of the vital nutrients he or she needs until they die isn't murder, I don't know what's murder. If signing a piece of paper permitting the abortion is to insert a vacuum into your uterus to suction your daughter's body apart, isn't murder. I don't know what's murder. If requesting an abortionist to insert forceps into your womb to have your son's legs ripped off and then whatever else the forceps can grab after that before crushing his skull with the forceps isn't murder. I don't know what's murder. If injecting the same poison used on death row victims into the heart or head of your innocent child to induce a heart attack isn't murder, nothing is murder. Reverend Rebecca Todd Peters, the Lord was near you on the day of your abortion because he is always near. But he was weeping. He was heartbroken as he watched your child in whatever fashion they were murdered. And yet he will still forgive. Mm. 
Well said. Very good. I appreciate what that young lady said, and um, I probably couldn't have said it better myself. Now, as far as the Planned Parenthood priestess, before that, I love the word felt. You know, it fe- I felt God in what I did. Well, thank God that your feelings aren't God. And then she says, I can't fathom, you know, who would want to force a person to actually have a baby and reap the consequences of their sexual promiscuity. Um, Well, thank God that not only are we not subject to whatever you feel, but we are also not subject to whatever you can fathom because there is a transcendent religious argument that needs to be made against this very ridiculousness. And this is where I do want to take issue with what this young lady said. She said religious arguments aren't always necessary, in in other words, that we don't have to make religious arguments. We can make scientific arguments. We can make arguments about the, you know, biological makeup of of a child and yada, yada, yada. Now, of course, we can. And of course, we should. But I've heard many conservatives say this over and over again, that we don't necessarily need to make religious arguments because people may not believe the Bible that we believe. Well, here's what I would tell you, is maybe you don't need to make dogmatic arguments, but you better believe you need to make religious arguments that point to the existence of a God that points us to the question, who is God? Because when we're talking about the sanctity of life or the intrinsic value of the human, and the morality that demands we honor that image bearer as an image bearer, well, you can't help but make religious arguments on religious grounds. And you better make that argument before you get your legs ripped off. Because the kind of secular morality that we see in society today says, if that baby is causing us some disturbance and some disruption in our life, well then by all means, rip its legs off, rip its head off, do whatever you need to to get rid of that nuisance. Uh, So if we're not going to see that argument extended as it should be to life outside of the womb, because, I mean, if you're going to kill it in the womb and it looks just like in the case of that woman in England, looks just like it does in the the nursery as it does in the the woman's womb, then why not just do it to a full grown adult? Well, uh, forgive me for paying attention to the fact that we need a moral basis in a society to create a sense of morality. And we're going to have to ask ourselves once and for all, where does that morality come from? And we'll talk about it in our final segment, Bible study with Democrats. Oh, God of pronouns. Lizzie Marbach is a young woman that by all accounts is a normal, fun-loving, and kind woman. She works for, or worked for, until last week, a pro-life nonprofit that she was fired from because hiding underneath that kind exterior is the heart of a right-wing extremist bent upon hatred and bigotry. I have her picture on the screen now, and you can almost see the hatred exuding from her face. We can only assume that given the chance to light a cross on fire outside of someone's home, maybe an elderly black couple, that she would do it because last week she posted this horrific tweet. Prepare your kids for this one. Hold their ears, hide your husbands, hide your wives, usher them outside of the room and say a prayer because here it goes. There's no hope for us outside of having faith in Jesus Christ alone. My God, what is the world coming to? I'm almost sorry I had to read that to you because the vitriol and hatred coming from that woman is almost too much to bear. Thankfully, Representative Max Miller came to the rescue by responding to that tweet and here's what he had to say in response. This is one of the most bigoted tweets I have ever seen. Well, I guess it's confession time, Max. I 100% agree with Lizzie. I'll go one step further, Max, and say there's an eternal reward for all those who believe what Lizzie said and the opposite of that for people like you. 
I know that might hurt your feelings, but surprise, Christians have believed this for thousands of years. It's only now we have to apologize to a bunch of moaning babies whenever anyone professes a differing viewpoint because they mentally and emotionally short circuit. Max, if you're looking for the people who bend and contort their beliefs to man, please check the Universalist Unitarian Church down the road or any other progressive church that you can find in your city, but don't look to Christians for that. But honestly, Max doesn't seem to get out of his bubble much because, surprise, Max, all real Christians believe what Lizzie said. So let's just get the lay of the land here for just a moment. A Christian reports to the surprise of the world that she believes in an exclusive Jesus, and all of a sudden, this free speech defending tolerant and non-judgmental man calls it bigoted. Since when did we become such a supremely weak-willed and frankly I'm going to say, I was going to say something else, but Moni society that we can no longer tolerate another viewpoint without calling it bigoted. This is yet another example of the fact that America is no longer a Christian dominated society. Whenever a Christian steps outside the veil of the commonly accepted secular progressivism of inclusivity and tolerance of our age, you can expect that there will be a huge amount of intolerance. The left expects us to go along with their program when a fat Sam Smith prances on stage dressed like Satan in lingerie, or when Lil Nas X simulates anal sex with Satan. Everyone's supposed to stand up and applaud the beauty and the bravery, but one Christian stands up and declares there's no hope for people outside of Jesus, and all of a sudden the polar ice caps melt. It's a reminder that real Christians in this world better be experiencing pressure, or you may not really be a real one. But let's get to what perhaps is the bigger problem here. Sure, the left and the right can be nasty, but more often than not, the left are the ones who are not only nasty, but malevolent. Shouldn't come as any surprise to you that shortly after this exchange, that Lizzie lost her, her job in this nonprofit pro-life organization. And one can't help but believe that Max Miller was responsible for that because Max Miller's wife is on the board of that pro-life organization. So color me a little bit skeptical. Reports have come out to say that Lizzie was going to be fired before all of this took place. But um, uh, I, I highly doubt that's the case. It's interesting timing, to say the least, that shortly after this exchange, she was fired from that nonprofit. So the left isn't interested in just being nasty on social media and trying to tear you down and trying to one-up you and slam dunk your arguments. They're not just interested in ad hominem attacks that are from a distance, but they're also interested in coming after your livelihood. The cancel culture of our society is far more on the left than it is on the right today. And I can give you numerous examples, Kevin Hart among them, for just making a joke and not being able to host the Academy Awards as a result of it. But I should mention to you one last thing. While the left is, by and large, incredibly malevolent, I should tell you that Max Miller is not on the left because the guy is a conservative. He's a Republican politician, and he served as a senior advisor to Donald Trump. And yet he's calling out a Christian for saying that you can only find hope in Jesus. Here's where we should really be. May the best truth win. May the facts win out at the end of the day. And we're going to have to admit that we're not going to find the truth necessarily always on the left or the right. Not only are all conservatives not really conservatives, but conservatism alone is not the answer. Beyond arguing about tax codes and spending is the vast majority of arguments that we're having in society today. And we're all left with very often 
is the right accusing the left or being irrational? And is the left accusing the right and being extreme? Above it all is the God of secular society saying, what does it even matter to each his own? May the best man win. Whoever's got the most power, cram it down on other people. Only a more powerful worldview can stop the pervasive evil we see today, whether it comes from the right or the left. Only a superior power to our political powers can expose lies and demand truth. If there is no moral lawgiver declaring a moral law, we're just endlessly fighting a culture war between ourselves and may the best man win. If there really is no objective moral law above our reason, then why not allow the adult man to saw off his penis? After all, it's, it's his junk. We don't have any stake in his life and it doesn't bother me unless, unless that man is a brother and has unique value because he's made in the image of God, which I believe he is. It is only when we posit a God in the midst of the back and forth that every knee must bow and every tongue confess. You can argue logically without God and you can try to help people come to your side with those rational arguments. But you're going to have to believe in something bigger if the biggest issues of our day are actually going to stand up under scrutiny. You can, you can argue your side rationally or you can believe in a real God that can show up and convince the wicked person of their wicked ways. That alone is the cure for our age. If God is real, and God is who he says he is, as the Christian believes, then we better start emphasizing that. Today's episode has been dedicated to the family man, the moral man, the conservative man. I remind you that it is easier to find the bottom of immoral pursuits than it is moral ones. You can go much further worshiping hard work, fortitude, marriage, and family than you can heroin and alcohol. The bottom in drugs hits fast and hard. For many, it wakes them up. For the moral conservative man that doesn't know God, the bottom is much further down and harder to find, but it is down there. This is why conservatism is good but not adequate if alone. The most deceptive cry of our age is, but I'm a good person. The reason many conservatives want to push past arguments about God and just go for the rational is because that's when things get really serious. It's not enough to assume God exists and he is probably good. We must ask who is God and that demands time. Inevitably, that question is met with a bunch of laziness and presumptuousness. But if the challenge is accepted, and if God be real as I think he is, it won't take you long to see why Christianity shines among the ideologies of all the gods of our age. My hope in all of this is that as Western civilization speeds over a cliff, it means that we are getting closer to the bottom, rather than in that wishy-washy middle. If enough Christians demand that we look to Christ in our decline, we might just be able to help people bounce back up when they hit the bottom. And then if they do, they can find the redemption that they need to get back on their feet. And so all I can say in response to that is, Max, you need Jesus. And I guess we all do. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And if this show was helpful to you, I'd love to hear from you down in the comments section below. But most importantly, make sure to go with God.